Hello and welcome. I'm Eric. And I'm John. And this is the Wikipedia Chronicles. where we start with a random article, explore it, and then follow the links and see where it takes us. John, what is your random article today? Mine is the Southern Voice, or SOVO. It was a lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender newspaper based out of Atlanta, Georgia. Hmm. Its publication has since ceased, but it ran from around 1988 until... The end of 2010. Okay. What do you got? I have Kirkland Township, Adams County, Indiana. Ah, I but I... not a super low population. It has a population of about 929 people. Hey, that's so 900 it's... more than... <laughs> that's 929 more people than some of the links we've had to places. Yep. It doesn't seem that notable of a place I don't really all they list is like townships neighboring it and doesn't seem to be anything of note happening in this place good so I am thinking that we should probably go to yours yeah let's what do is, something topical <laughs> what is that again the southern voice parentheses newspaper Sovo. Good old Sovo. So naturally being what it was about, uh, it was a newspaper in Atlanta, Georgia, focused on uh, LGBT issues in the region. Mm. It claimed to have over 100,000 readers, making it the most widely read LGBT paper in the region. It's not a bad readership. No, for a paper that has a kind of narrow, uh, a narrower demographic yeah. than uh, in an area that's definitely not the most populous in America. Atlanta's yeah. a pretty big place, but that's a respectable amount of readers. Yeah, especially in 1988. Yeah, or even today, really. Yeah. I mean, just it just that, that's really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, on November 16th, 2009, though. The Southern Voice and several related publications, including the Washington Blade, were shut down because they all belonged to a larger group called Window Media. Uh. Not to be confused with Windows Media, (laughs) the really bad uh, default (laughs) media player you get with older versions of Windows. Windows Window Media owned a bunch of other uh, several... uh, They published several gay-oriented newspapers in the United States. Hmm. So the paper ceased publishing after the December 2nd, 2010 issue, despite the fact that they tried to revive it in 2010, in April 2010. And the reason they had to try to relaunch the paper was that the, the assets of the paper were auctioned off in February 2010 in bankruptcy court. <laughs> uh, so the, the rights to the paper were sold to Matt Newman, a publisher of Gaydar magazine, for only $9,000. So, once they were sold, they reappeared for a brief time and ultimately ended up dying out. Hmm. That seems pretty recently, though. It's only five years ago. Yep. But, uh, like, I mean, apparently even niche papers with a relatively faithful readership can't make go of it in this country. It's just uh, another example of a journal journalistic institution having to downsize and incurring mm-hmm. financial problems. That's basically what happened. Everything... That was a uh, LGBT publication, acro- big ones across the nation. We're all mm-hmm. housed in Window Media, Window Media tanked, and that was it. <laughs> Windows Media. Window Media <laughs> crashing and burning. Like, Window, me- window Media <laughs> stopped working. Yeah, and Can't I mean, control, like, it's delete hard enough out of this one. for, I think, majority of newspapers, even the big ones. Yep, so... 
uh, from here, there are quite a few places we can go. We can go find out more about uh, the Window Media Parent Company and some of their other publications. There's also a link to literally every particular uh, sexual orientation you would care to shake a stick at. Uh, there is a link for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender individually. There's also a uh, link to National Gay Newspaper Guild. There's <laughs> also a link to Southeast United States, which seems very odd. The whole region. <laughs> like it's, I mean, you can have the states individually. I don't know why you'd need to lump them all together down there. I guess they're kind of close. I mean, honestly, it doesn't seem close to me because we're spoiled. We're from an area where, you know, New York City is like mm-hmm. 80 miles away. Philly's 60 and uh, Baltimore's 62. It's, there's cities, but they're all close to each other. Mm-hmm. Down that way, you, they're thinking more of a broad spectrum region. Right. So maybe that's why they had a, viewer, oh, a readership of uh, 100,000 people. They were like yeah, marketing all the way down to, you know, Tampa Bay area, northern Florida, across to, I don't know where else. I don't know if it would go to Louisiana, as far west as Louisiana or not, but. Uh, the founders have some really cool names. There's Chris Cash and Lee Vanderells. Yeah, that's really embellished. <laughs> Vanderells. It's kind of cool. I'm actually interested in checking out that window media. Yeah, let's go there. I just want to see like what what happened to this place, what happened to some of its publications. I'm sure some of them couldn't have been as ill-fated as being sold <laughs> to some dude for nine thousand bucks and then immediately crashing and burning again. <laughs> well, this article pretty much says exactly what you've already said about the company. <laughs> yeah. Um. But the other newspapers that it put out was. South Florida Blade, the Washington Blade, and the Houston Voice, which was first published as the Montrose Star. Completely different place. (laughs) And then it also put out some magazines called David Atlanta, Eclipse, 411 Magazine, and Genre. And out of all of those... 411 Magazine is the only one that is not linked to. So really, it's a crapshoot, because there's nothing <laughs> else to, to say about Window Media, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. There's uh, the fact that they were a gay press publishing holding company. Mm-hmm. Uh, they acquired a bunch of newspapers and magazines in the 2000s, and before the 2000s were out, they were through. Uh, and that's all there is. There's yeah. just links back to their other stuff. Yeah, we just gotta hope that whatever we pick has the biggest article that... <laughs> it's a roll of the dice, Eric. <laughs> it's a roll of the dice. Hmm. Alright, well, let's see. Well, we already talked about a newspaper, so maybe we should jump over to magazine. Yeah, let's try that out. Um, I like Eclipse. Yeah, that's always a cool name. It's a little bit of a cool name. Yeah. It linked us to uh, an actual eclipse. Oh. Uh, this is definitely not the magazine. <laughs> nope. No, it's not. <laughs> this is an astronomical event that occurs when an astronomical object is temporarily obscured, either by passing into the shadow of another body or by having another body pass between it and the viewer. A eclipse like this, <laughs> it's a type of sizey guy. <laughs> <laughs> Sizey guy. Sizey guy. Sizey guy. S Y Z Y G Y. Syzygy. Syzygy. I believe is how it's actually <laughs> pronounced. But I had to have some fun. I'm sorry. George. Especially. I'm sorry. Um, yes, our editor in chief. Editor in chief. Uh, quality control expert. <laughs> George Brown. I apologize to you. Um, so, since I am uh, intimidated by uh, the chief's knowledge of astronomical phenomena, I'm compelled to go from here to the, uh, before I've overstated my 
overstay my welcome if I already haven't done that with Size and Guy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um, I'm thinking about maybe uh, going to the disambiguation and seeing if mm. we can't actually rend forth the article that was supposed to link to, uh, yeah. if there is in fact one. <laughs> All right, well, as much as I'd love to go to Size and Guy as an article, let's see if we can't. <laughs> I'll never know. Was it pronounced <laughs> Syzygy or is it Sizy Guy? Don't stay tuned because we're not going. George is a pretty Sizy Guy. I'd say he is. I, I would choose him as my Sizy Guy any day. <laughs> All right. Well, the disambiguation. Let's just go ahead and jump down to see if there's a link to the magazine. Yeah, my publications called Eclipse. That's hopeful. Hmm. Uh, but nothing about the yeah. magazine. I mean, there's there's an Eclipse magazine, but it's a comic book. Which maybe you know maybe that is the like a, or a gay comic book. It could be. Could well it says know. published by Eclipse Comics, and I feel like it would say published by Windows Media. Right, exactly. Window Media. Published by Windows Media. <laughs> Windows Media is pumped into the neural network and made to come up with comics about gay people. It's just you know, <laughs> it's just a experiment Microsoft was doing back in the day. Don't. <laughs> All right. There's a bunch of albums here, but uh, one of the things that I find interesting is we're back to horse racing. <laughs> We could be, anyway. There's uh, a, a Eclipse, an 18th century racehorse, which was notable enough to have its own article now. <laughs> I always like historical animals that have their own... Their thing. own links. Um, I did see an interesting one here. There's um, a song called Eclipse... In parentheses, cross-faith song from the 2013 album Apocalypse. So that, I thought that was kind of interesting. But I don't think we've ever talked about... Have we talked about racehorses? Talked about what? Huh? Have we talked about what? Racehorses? I think we did, didn't we? I don't remember. I, I don't either, but I have this distinct, like... Even though I had a conversation with you about it, where racehorses were just like really weird names. Maybe that was mm. one of the other. We came across lists of animals. Before, yes, we did come across lists of animals. That's for sure. Lists of military animals, I recall. Yeah. Like animals that had military service done to them. I think maybe we got into horse names that way. That could be. But it may not have been racing horses. Well, let's investigate this horse and see. Ooh, there's a nice little picture of it, too. Wow. They really cared about this thing. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess I shouldn't say picture. It's a painting. Wow. But, yes. of course, the racehorse did live from 1764 to 1789, so it's not like they could take a picture. They know this horse's exact day of life and birth and death and <laughs> decession. Decession? Decession. Yeah. <laughs> Like, that's weird, because we've been through... We had, like, a big surgical dude last week <laughs> who, uh, you know, did a lot of really unique stuff, and we were like, mm -hmm. circa maybe 192, maybe 200, <laughs> maybe 216. I mean, yeah. you know, it's all the Give same. Give or take 60 years, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he, he may have lived for an entire other lifetime. Nobody's quite sure. Meanwhile, yeah, it's a horse. Died 26th February 1789. We know that. That's fact. <laughs> Done. Recorded in the Annals of History. So, uh, this horse won 18 races, uh, including 11 king's plates, which I don't know what that is. Uh, and He was undefeated, by the way. What? All For 18 of those races that he... See, now... Was in. That's surprising to me that... That's why I he has like an article. He would be in more races... I don't know. I feel like 18 is not very many races. I feel like the fact that he was alive as long as he was was amazing enough. But That's at the same true. time, 25 you years. think about it. Like When you hear about the Kentucky Derby, it's like a month later, horse mm -hmm. racing season is over. 
because the mm. Triple Crown is three three races. Mm -hmm. I think they just don't have that much faith in the longevity of, or like the ability to per, uh, to continue being a racehorse. Oh, okay. So like they maybe it's they, very limited it's run. Just, yeah. Now this this horse didn't get taken out behind the shed and shot because again undefeated horse. You don't yeah. just shoot undefeated horses. You shoot the ones that get injured and then you turn them into glue. <laughs> but this horse was not that. He went on to become a very successful sire. Ho ho ho. Ooh. Yeah, you get with them lady horses. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Now it says in the article that he is outstanding. So, that is an undisputed fact. Oh, okay. <laughs> he is attested to have covered 83 feet per second at top speed, which would equate to 25 feet in a single stride. That's pretty good. I, I think so. I can't run that fast. Yeah. So, that's, that's decent. Oh, wow. It has all the um, races recorded here. And all the different kinds of uh, plates. Wow, okay. So he only raced for two years. Like I said, they go fast. They go quick. Man. Horses. But this wasn't even at the end of his life. This was... He was five years old when he first started racing. Raced for two years. Lived to be 25. Wow. So he... Basically won 18 in a row. Then they were like, all right, calling it quits. And he went out on top. And then he just lived his life as a nice little horse. Yeah, he was pretty incredible. Um, some of these races are not short either. You've got some that are not listed as far as distance is concerned. Others are up to four miles mm. in length, which for an animal, even a horse, that's yeah. a decent stretch of land. Yeah. It's interesting to see, though, that some of these races, he was the only entry. There are There's two columns. There's runners, and then there's place. Now, <laughs> the thing is, he's first place all the time, but of those races... There are only, like, only two-thirds of them, maybe only half, are ones that... Yeah, eight of them. ...have actual competitors <laughs> to have him eight, beat Eight speeding. of them, he was running by himself, and most of those were King's Plate. So that's why he's won 11 King's Plates. Nobody fought him. <laughs> I guess what happened was... Uh, it says... Okay, so there's the first three races here. There's a 50-pound a 50 race, a 50-pound plate, and then the king's plate. Those are the first three races this oh, horse okay. ran in. As soon as the first king's plate is out of the way, you see the amount of runners in the king's plate going from five to one. So I have to wonder if people who owned horses like said, oh, not this freaking horse again. We're not trying. We're going home. And they just left. I can totally see that happening. Like, yeah. think about it. If a horse so definitively destroyed your horse in competition, and it's the <laughs> same horse, are you going to try again? Or yeah. are you going to just kind of be like, you know what? We're going to gonna wait. We're going to wait. Yeah, it wasn't until like a year after all that that there were four runners in the a king's plate. He came in first. And then after that, all the king's plates again were just down to him. Yep. They were just like, all right, you know what? We tried again. Forget it. <laughs> right. I think we're putting this mildly, though. To put it in perspective, here's what really happened. Eclipse in 1769 ran the first king's plate race against four other horses. Five runners total were in that race. At the end of that race, all of the owners were so angry, they shot all four of the other horses. <laughs> Thus, there were no further comp competitors for the season. They had to wait till the next year, till the next batch was grown, <laughs> for them to come back and try again. That's true. Hence why there's four more. Now, when the other three <laughs> lost, they took them out behind the shed. They became some bottles of Elmers, and then they continued to have uh, Eclipse win more races. Yep. That's that must have been what happened. Boom. Those must have been some boring races. Right. <laughs> Like, I don't understand and why would anybody care. Why did they care? even have them? Yeah. If he's like, the only race horse there, then why would they even bother? 
I don't know that. Because it's not like there's any betting going on. I mean, I guess he still gets paid, but it's not like anybody can bet on that. Oh, okay. It says here... <laughs> this is funny. He was retired to stud after a racing career of 17 months due to lack of competition as nobody was betting on rival horses. So, wow, basically, everybody was like, well, he's going to win, so I'm going to bet on him. And yep. then, eventually, it was just like, all right, well, I guess if, you know, they're not going to make any money off this horse, then might as well stop it. Wow. Overall, Eclipse sired 344 winners wow. in races. More... All told, uh, about 158,000 pounds were won <laughs> from this particular horse and its offspring. He has some uh, great um, progeny names here. We have Planet, <laughs> Pot 8 O's, Potatoes, I guess. Oh, nice. And Good wordplay. Jupiter, Satellite, King Fergus. <laughs> Joe Andrews, <laughs> Mercury, Young Eclipse, Dung Dungannon, Saltrum, Volunteer, okay, Sar Sergeant, Alexander, Annette, Don Quixote, and Pegasus. Only one of which was a mare. How many planets in our solar system were we aware of at this time? I have to uh, wonder. I believe it was only out till Jupiter okay. at that time. Because we have a Mercury and a Jupiter, and then they gave up and named the horse <laughs> Planet. Yeah. Although Planet's the oldest one, so it's like, <laughs> why did you start there? Why did you start with the most vague <laughs> and then work your way up to... I don't, I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. This methodology eludes me. Oh, wow. Okay, so Eclipse's daughters produced Archduke, Chanticleer, Haphazard, John Bull, Meteora, Phenomenon, Skyscraper, Stamford, Tartar, Weasel, and Remembrancer. Remembrancer. <laughs> that is a cool name. It's like Necromancer, but for remembering. <laughs> Remember me. <laughs> Remember answer. Now, uh, that's weird that skyscraper would be back then. I don't know. I feel like they didn't have skyscrapers back then. Well, it says that uh, Eclipse's daughters produced that. So basically, uh, we're talking like another stretch another of another 20 years. Down, yeah. okay. So at that point, it still doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> Wow, there's even a picture of the skeleton of Eclipse. That's because after Eclipse died due to a heart attack, they took him to the Royal Veterinary College in Hertfordshire. Uh, it, uh, basically, they did a necropsy of Eclipse and found that he had an abnormally large heart weighing 14 pounds. This trait, mm. referred to in the context of thoroughbreds as the X-factor, <laughs> has been seen occasionally in his descendants, including Secretariat Ooh. and Farlap. Now, I... That's interesting. Sacri that, why didn't they mention <laughs> that up there, that Secretariat's yeah, a descendant like of this horse? that notable. Yeah. Rather than just an offhand mention during the death part. But I guess his large heart played a part in his winning the races. So <laughs> this horse just seems like... It was the horse. Like, this is the horse that started horse racing. Yeah, it does seem that way. And I just saw something interesting here. The Mitsubishi Eclipse was named for the racehorse. Not for the natural phenomenon. Nope. See, that makes more sense. I always it wondered does. about that. Yeah, it's like, why are you naming this after a sun being blotted out by the moon. Right. <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense. It's a car. Yeah. Eclipses are very slow moving. <laughs> oh, you meant the racehorse that beat everybody. Okay. Yeah. That's fine, then. <laughs> so not only was this horse, like, really, really good, but they also have a lot of awards in horse racing now named after Eclipse. Yeah. Like he was the guy. <laughs> You know, it's kind of funny that we're talking about this horse 
and then Secretariat comes up as a descendant. I mean, I, was, I spent all week watching uh, season two of BoJack Horseman, <laughs> where Secretariat is a prominently featured, prominently featured thing. <laughs> well, we could go into Secretariat because I don't let's really do know that. a whole lot about him. I don't think I've actually seen the movie. Was there a movie? Yeah, Tobey Maguire was the no, dude. No, wait, that was Sea Biscuit. Oh was... shoot. It wasn't Secret. It was hmm. Sea Biscuit then. Okay, well, Secretariat's really well known. Secretariat is the ho- yeah. name of the horse from uh, Late Show with uh, Craig Ferguson. He had a horse puppet oh. that came out and danced around <laughs> with him. It's a weird show. It was a different time. It was a great day in America. <laughs> well, he only lived to be 19, so not as good. Yep. Wow, this article is really like a story. <laughs> the story of Secretariat began with the link toss of a coin <laughs> in 1969 between Penny Chenery of Meadow Stable and Ogden Phipps of Wheatley Stable. The coin toss was the idea of Phipps, owner of Bold Ruler and Bull Hancock of Claiborne Farms as a way to get the very best mares for Bold Ruler. And when the toss went their way to add well-bred fillies to their own broodmare band. Bold Ruler was considered... Broodmare would be a good name for a band. It would be. Bold Ruler? Be yeah. a nice wordplay. Or Bull Hancock. Yeah. Or Claiborne Farms. <laughs> no, not that last one. Uh, it says, Bold Ruler was considered to be one of the most important stallions at his time because he had a fine balance of speed and stamina, even though he finished fourth in the Kentucky Derby in 1957. He did go on to win the Preakness, so th- there was some racing pedigree here. For, uh, I guess, Secretariat's dad. Yeah, and after his racing career, he was retired to Claiborne Farms and was still controlled by the Phipps family. And, uh, so he would be bred mainly to Phipps mares, and that few of his offspring would find their way to the auction ring. Uh, okay, so, yeah, Phipps and Hancock, instead of paying stud fees to breed with Bold Ruler, they would claim one of two foals produced by the mare who bred in successive seasons of two mares who bred in the same season. So they, one of them would get first pick, which was decided by a coin flip. There's a really, really long history that doesn't have anything to do with Secretary being born. And finally, you get to March 30th of a year that they don't mention. <laughs> uh, we guess 1970, but it could be 1969, too. Yeah. I think it's 1970 at this point. At 12.10 a.m., something royal, the mom of a bunch of horses that don't mean anything except for Secretariat, <laughs> uh, fold a bright red chestnut colt, which is Secretariat. Uh, and by the time the colt was a yearling, he was still unnamed. Because apparently, uh, uh, the stable secretary, Elizabeth Ham, had submitted five names to the jockey club, but it's not like naming your kid, folks. <laughs> if you submit a name to a horse club, and this is probably why uh, the names you see today are so ridiculous, <laughs> they're ha- they have to be approved by people. And uh, for various reasons, the names that were submitted were denied. Uh, approval finally came with a sixth submission. Uh, a name that Ham herself picked from a previous career association, Secretary. I really want to know what the previous names were. Me too, but it does kind of explain that, like, I think jockey clubs seem to only allow unique names for horses. Like, there cannot mm-hmm. be a horse named the same thing twice. Yeah. Hence, Pot 8 <laughs> So, in his first race, Secretary got beaten bad. <laughs> However, he went on to win the next five races he was in. Uh, and in the hopeful stakes at the Saratoga race course, uh, Secretary made a huge move. He passed eight horses in a quarter of a mile stretch, <laughs> took the lead, 
And then he went on to win by five lengths, which I don't know what a length is. But five of them must be pretty long. Must be pretty notable, because they wouldn't have it as a standard distance if it wasn't something like you could see very well. Yeah. That must have been uh, pretty crazy to watch. In a quarter mile span, him passing all eight other horses and then yeah. right to the front. <laughs> Interesting that Secretariat was two when he started racing. Oh. Two years old. Unlike uh, our friend Eclipse, who was yeah, five. Yeah, five. Mm-hmm. yeah, it looks like he only raced for two years as well. So, of course, the notable thing that Secretariat did was uh, win the Triple Crown. It was the first Triple Crown win in 25 years, and he's one of only nine horses to have done it. Huh. So it was a pretty big deal at the time. Um, though, I don't know any of these these terms, these measurements. <laughs> I'm going to guess lengths are horse lengths? Like no, that length, could be, yeah. The length of a horse, about. So altogether, Secretary won 16 out of the total 21 races he was in for a horse in not-too-long-ago society. That's pretty good. Yeah. He almost won as many races as Eclipse, but he raced in a few more. And he had much stiffer competition. By yeah. that point, oh, yeah. you know, the pedigree of Eclipse was out and about. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure he was and... probably racing against some of his like, yeah. cousins. <laughs> yep, for sure. You know it. By this point, pretty much all horses are probably descendants of Eclipse. <laughs> yeah, yeah, some way, shape, or form. There's just, you know, well, he's like the Genghis Khan of horses, Eclipse. <laughs> he seems to be just as beloved as Eclipse was. Except, of course, by this point in history, money had gone through the roof on horse racing. Mm-hmm. The breeding rights for Secretariat were sold before he won the Triple Crown. <laughs> and even before he won the Triple Crown... Uh, he, he sold the breeding rights for uh, more than $1 million at the time. That's a lot of money. But when you're dealing with betting like that, then, uh, yeah. yeah. Now, the weird thing is, is that, okay, so it was, uh, Secretariat was sold off to be sired to Canadian Bound. Now, once they had been... Once he had sired Canadian Bound, he uh, they sold that horse for more than a million dollars. It was the first horse to break the million-dollar barrier in an auction bidding, selling for an equivalent of 6.2 million 2015 American dollars. It's hmm. a lot of money for a horse. Yeah. The death section has a little interesting fact that I was not aware of. When he died, he was given the rare honor of being buried whole. And it says that usually only the head, heart, and hooves of a winning racehorse are buried, and the rest of the body is cremated. So, that's kind of strange. I guess it makes sense to um, save space, because... If you bury every single horse whole, then that's a lot of uh, real estate. But he did have the X factor, that large heart. That big heart. <laughs> so it says that the large heart um, is linked to a genetic condition passed down via the dam line. The dam line? Dam. Fine. <laughs> wow, so... It says that the X factor can be traced to the historic racehorse Eclipse. So, I guess is maybe he's like the origin of the large heart X factor, the first or mutant horse. At least I guess maybe the first like investigated <laughs> cuz it's very possible that there were horses before that that had it, but right. they probably weren't looking around in there to yeah. See. Because, I mean, if you look at the stakes on those races, we're talking people won guineas and pounds. Yeah. Like, 
double-digit or single-digit amounts for winning these races back in like the 1700s. Horse racing did not become a super rich person's game until it became more popular. Yeah. At which point, yeah. So you can see, like, I think there's other horses out there that had to have had this. Eclipse was probably just the first one that was like, it was found in. Yeah. Oh, and then Far Lap was also had the uh, heart the same size as Eclipse. Hmm. But I've not heard of Far Lap other than in the article that we previously discussed. Yeah, I, I haven't either, but I guess Far Lap must be notable for some reason. Yeah. Okay, well, we're not crazy. There was a Secretariat movie movie. I thought so. It was a Disney movie, so that it was the other horse racing movie. Right. They're well, probably both released the same the year. The other, other, because there's also that other one. What? What do you mean that, there's another one? That one with the um, racing stripes. The, well, the zebra. Yeah, the zebra with Chris that. Rock talking no. as the horse. No, that has that. That has the person <laughs> who played what? Dawn from uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Wasn't she the star of that one? I don't even remember. Pretty sure she was. I don't think it was Amanda Bynes. It was like one. It was either her or Amanda Bynes. So I'm pretty sure it's the girl who played Dawn from Buffy <laughs> the Vampire Slayer. But wow, that movie, yeah. I forgot that was a movie. <laughs> How could I ever forget Racing Stripes? <laughs> okay, so necropsy, necrop, necropsy. Is that like an autopsy? Yeah, it's after after you're dead. Like, but what's the difference between a necropsy and an autopsy? Uh, one is. Probably to, I think autopsy is probably the determined cause of death, um, where necropsy is probably just like, let's go and uh, take this thing apart and <laughs> see what, what's inside. It's not looking for anything, it's just looking to see if, okay. like, what are the causes. So autopsy parts. is an investigation, and necropsy is more of just a curious yeah. thing. And it's probably done more so in animals. Just oh, actually, no, I'm sorry, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Necropsy is literally just a synonym for autopsy. They just chose, oh. chose that. <laughs> they chose that in all of these articles. Yep. For whatever reason. Okay, well, where do we want to go from here? Well, there are quite a few things, but... Man. I would be pretty pleased if I didn't have to talk about horse racing more. <laughs> because this entire article is really big... But it's clearly, it's all for narrative. There's yeah. some links to, like, locations and stuff, but it's all just, like, saying about how Secretariat was behind. He started really far back, and then eventually he did a great thing, and he <laughs> ran faster than the other ones, and then he won the race by a certain distance. Like, who cares? <laughs> There's so much, like, just say he won, man. <laughs> That's the part that matters. I, w I, sh I should say, though, that before we leave this article... Secretariat was ranked the 35th best athlete of the 20th century by ESPN. Ah. A horse. <laughs> a horse was the 35th best athlete. Come on, mankind. Pick it up. <laughs> you can do better than that. Well, we could go to Disney. Disney World? Of course. I feel like we already we have. did go to Disney. We've gone to Disney. <laughs> We've done Disney. We've gone to Disney World. So many times. <laughs> Could go to postage stamp. Go to Sports Illustrated. Postage stamp um, links to list of people on stamps of the United States. Okay. <laughs> Sports Illustrated lists goes to Sports Illustrated. <laughs> you go to article for toss of a coin. Just goes to the article <laughs> for coin flipping. <laughs> I mean, I feel, I feel like there shouldn't have to be an article about coin flipping. You would say there wouldn't have to be, and you'd be wrong. <laughs> like, if you say to somebody, hey, they tossed a coin, is anybody going to be that confused? And they're like, wait a minute. Maybe. Do you, do you have, like, an article about that that I could read up on? Maybe if we go to it, we'll figure out why. Maybe there's some, like, 
really discreet, subtle element to tossing a coin that we don't know. Maybe there's secrets in this article. Maybe we can mm. really like swindle people. Secret. Who don't listen Harriet's. to this podcast out of a lot of money. We can just make this a big like a financial cult. Like we'll just uh. have. Hey, you want to be successful? Listen to our podcast. <laughs> Always money in the podcast. <laughs> it's really hard to do that click thing on you. Let's just do this for another 15 know. minutes and we'll be done. <laughs> That's it. All right. Well, you know what? Let's go. Let's go toss a coin. All right. Oh, you mean like the article? Okay. Yeah. I thought you, I was going to go get a coin for my car. Uh, nice little picture on the side of a person dramatically flipping a coin. The caption aptly describes it as tossed coin. <laughs> This is a surprisingly lengthy article. This shouldn't be this long. <laughs> like, there's, I, there's no reason for it to be this long. All right, well, let's get into <laughs> it. It says that heads or tails also redirects here. Uh, there's also a disambiguation for heads or tails. And uh, for coin tossing as specific to the sport of oh cricket, goodness. see toss, parentheses, cricket. <laughs> Then it goes on to say about the basics of coin flipping, coin tossing, or heads or tails. Uh, it says that the uh, those are the practice of throwing a coin in the air to choose between two alternatives, sometimes to resolve a dispute between two parties, and it is the, a form of sortition which inherently has only two possible and equally likely outcomes. The historical origin of coin flipping is the interpretation of a chance outcome as the expression of divine will. <laughs> coin flipping as a game was known to the Romans as navia aut caput, ship or head, as some coins had a ship on one side and the head of the emperor on the other. In England, the game was referred to as cross and pile. The expression head or tail may stem from the German expression for the same game, Kopf oder Zahl, head or number. <laughs> All right, so let's get into the process. Here we of go. Coin flipping. You ready to learn, guys? All right, during a coin toss, a coin is thrown into the air. Such that it rotates edge uh, over edge right. several times. Okay. Okay. So it has to be several times. Okay. You can't just flip it and okay. it flips once. That's right. not fair. Right. Yeah. Now, beforehand, or when the coin is in the air already, mm -hmm. yeah. an interested party calls either heads or tails, indicating which side of the coin that party is choosing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. The other party is automatically assigned to the opposing side mm. because there are only two. One person chooses one. The other person has to be the other. Right. Now, depending on the custom, the coin may either be caught, oh, caught and then inverted, uh -oh. or allowed to land on the ground. Hmm. So I guess it all depends on your environment and which rules you come up with beforehand. Hmm. But when the coin comes to rest, the toss is complete. And the party who called or assigned the face-up side is declared the winner. Now, it is theoretically possible oh, no. for a coin to land on its edge. Oh, no. Either by landing oh, up on. against an object, such as a shoe, you know, I, I, okay, if it lands on the ground, or, yeah. Or by getting stuck in the ground, as famously happened during the December 8th, 2013 NFL matchup between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Detroit Lions, which took place during a heavy snowstorm. I remember that, yeah. <laughs> Angular momentum typically prevents most coins from landing on their edges unsupported if flipped. Such cases in which a coin does, not, does land on its edge are exceptionally rare, though. And in most cases, the coin is simply reflipped. So don't fret if the coin lands on its edge. It's not going to keep doing it. You can just reflip it. Okay. Because okay. once that happens, it's extremely unlikely that it would happen for a second time in a row, unless you are Two Face. Right. 
In which case it will happen over and over and over again because Batman gave you a trick coin. Yep. That's that's <laughs> that's exactly what would happen. Now, the coin that you use may be any type of coin as long as it has two distinct sides. Unless you're Two-Face. Unless you're Two-Face, <laughs> in which you can cheat the system. Yes. <laughs> it need not be a circulating coin as such. Larger coins tend to be more popular than smaller ones, and most high-profile coin tosses use custom-made ceremonial medallions. Hmm. Although the citation is needed on that little bit, so take that part with a grain of salt. So, there is a bit of an article here on fraudulent flipping. It's not very difficult to learn to flip a coin so as to get a reliable intended result. See, I told you, man. We're getting we're getting in, in the ground floor here. Good secrets. Good secrets for like the trade of uh, swindling people out of their money with 50-50 odds game. Yeah, the uh, the grift. Yeah, being a grifter. <laughs> we're gonna become grifters, man. It's gonna be great. All right, so this is grift class, folks. Grift 101. Grifting. Here we are. Tokyo Grift. <laughs> All right. Okay. Not by controlling the number of flips, but by creating the illusion that the coin is flipping. Ooh. The coin remains at a constant inclination to the vertical and simply rotates or wobbles about a vertical axis. The inclination must be sufficient for the coin to occupy most of the sphere that a fairly flipped coin would while not being so great that the coin is likely to bounce when caught. An inclination around 45 degrees is usually satisfactory. Another simple way to cheat is simply to peek at the coin as it lands in your hand, although it <laughs> seems that this would be easily detectable. In fact, this can be done quickly and convincingly with some practice. And the third common method of fraudulent flipping is to determine which side is up by the feel of the coin. On most USA coins, the head side is going to be smoother than the tail side. So in that case, it's uh, it's kind of a toss-up, isn't it? Uh, if you have the coin land on the ground, you run the risk of there being snow and it landing on its side. If you let the coin land in someone's hand, then that's fine, but as soon as they do the flip, then they have a time where they can kind of sit there and feel the coin. They can feel the sides as they are, or they can maybe peek at the coin to see what's going on. Hmm. So, the best way to agree upon a coin flip, then, must be an open-handed catch. Yeah. Whereupon, you can guarantee that the curvature of your hand will not allow for an edge landing, mm -hmm. and so as to prevent any sort of tomfoolery with somebody being like, oh, wait, and then flipping the coin on you right. to an unfavorable result. That is the truest way fate can yeah. help have you win a, win a coin toss. Mm -hmm. Oh, man, this gets complicated, though. <laughs> Three-way coin flips? Mm. They're possible, but they, by a different process. They are possible. Um, you can either choose two out of three or choose one out of three. But to choose two out of three, three coins are flipped, and if two coins come up the same and one different, the different one loses, leaving two players. To choose one out of three, either reverse this, the odd coin out is the winner, or add a regular two-way coin flip between the remaining players as a second step. So this definitely increases the odds says that a three-way flip is 75% likely to work each time it is tried. Because if all the coins are heads or if all the coins are tails, which occurs a quarter of the time, the flip is repeated until results differ. Mm -hmm. And there is a famous example of a three-way coin flip in Friday Night Lights, which is originally a book, then a film, and then TV series. And that was a book. And I don't know if the coin flip happened in all three of them or just one or two of them, but it happened in there somewhere. 
three high school football teams with identical records use a three-way coin flip at a truck stop <laughs> to determine which two will advance to the playoffs. A legacy of this coin flip was to reduce the use of coin flips to break ties in Texas sports. Uh, instead, using point systems to reduce the frequency of ties. That would be kind of heartbreaking. Your football team does really well, and you can't go, so you have to lose a coin flip to figure out like that you can't do anything. At a truck stop. At a truck stop. That's the most defeating possible scenario. Like If you win, you're fine, but... If you lose, then you're just immediately morbidly depressed because you're yeah. at a truck stop. You're at, like, a sheets that's worse. <laughs> oh, boy. There is a physics section. Here we go. All right, so experimental and theoretical analysis of coin tossing has shown that the outcome is predictable. Hell yeah. To some degree, oh. if the initial conditions of the toss such as position, velocity, and angular momentum are known. Coin tossing may be modeled as a problem in Lagrangian mechanics. Lagrangian? Lagrangian? Lagrangian. 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 Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Uh, Done. (laughs) Um, But yeah. So... It, it can be predictable. It's got to be able to wobble on its axes, and then if the coin, it has to also, I guess there's something about the bouncing at the end of its trajectory. The outcome of coin flipping has been studied by Percy Diaconis and his collaborators. They have demonstrated that a mechanical coin flipper, which imparts the same initial conditions for every toss, has a highly predictable outcome. Mm-hmm. The phase space is fairly regular. Further, in actual flipping, people exhibit slight bias. Coin tossing is fair to two decimals, but not to three. (laughs) That is, typically, flips show biases, such as .495 or .503. Not sure why that bits in quotes, but it is. (laughs) Hmm. Well, that's interesting. In order to study it... uh, Diaconis first uses strobe light and a coin with one side painted black, the other painted white, so that when the speed of the strobe flash equaled the rotation of the coin, it would appear to always show the same side. This proved difficult to use, and rotation rate was more accurately computed by attaching floss to a coin such that it would wind around the coin. After a flip, one could count rotations Mm. by way of unwinding the floss, and then compute rotation rate as flips over airtime. Okay, so stage magicians and gamblers, with practice can increase the bias of the coin being caught in the same way as it was thrown. Making throws that are virtually indistinguishable from normal throws all the while. Hmm. And so, you really can cheat the system. Yeah. You just have to have a little sleight of hand. (laughs) Yep. Hmm, that is very interesting. I am going to need a quarter on my way out, I think. (laughs) We have much work to do. Is the podcast done? We gotta start flipping coins, man. (laughs) We gotta start seeing if we can flip our way to to the moon. Oh, man, this is weird. Okay, so under coin flipping and telecommunications, um, there's no reliable way to use a true coin flip to settle a dispute between two parties if they cannot both see the coin. For example, over the phone. The flipping party could easily lie about the outcome of the toss. In telecommunications and cryptography, the following algorithm can be used. One... Alice and Bob each choose a random string. And respectively. Alice chooses an outcome for an imaginary coin flip, such as tail. Bob sends Alice his random string. <laughs> Fudigif Jehovah's 
sorry, I gotta stop you. I believe the correct pronunciation of that is. Okay, you. Yes, that is the correct pronunciation. Then the next. Alice immediately computes a SHA 1 hash of the string tail. <laughs> which is five. <laughs> I can't believe we're actually reading this. This is actually on this page. This is here. We're not. We're not screwing with you. We're really not. We're not having a stroke. We're medically fine. I don't know if we will be as soon as we're done saying the rest of the sentence, but. I, I swear to you, this is the way it's. This is what it's on. This is what's here. This is it. So that that string is five nine D E A four zero eight D four three one eight three A three nine three seven nine five seven E seven one A four B C A C C six one six. D nine CBC, and then she sends it to Bob. <laughs> Alice asks Bob, heads or tails? Oh what? Oh, hold on. We just went through all that work just for her to ask the same question anyway. Bob says, for instance, heads. Alice tells him she's just one and proves it by showing the string tail. You want to take this one? Tail. Then Bob can check that Alice didn't lie by computing the SHA-1 of the string himself. Furthermore, Bob, by proving, providing his own randomly generated string, guarantees that Alice wasn't able to pre-compute an image pair of tail slash random string or head slash random string. So, there you go. Cryptographically proven, folks. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> What did it even prove? I don't know. I did it prove that you shouldn't do coin tosses over the phone? I think that's what it proved. I think that's Does what anybody I actually use that that algorithm? Is that an that's an algorithm? The letters that, are? No, that that you sequence mean, of things. Yeah, yeah, that's, that number. But like, how do you? It's not. It's not a result of. Or give It's not that. It's just. It's just this other number. It's just five nine D A four zero eight D four three one eight three A three nine three seven nine five seven E seven one A four B C A C C six one six D nine C B C. I mean, that's all it is. It's not. Yeah. How do they? This has been our show mm. for this week. Uh, <laughs> I, I think they've managed to complicate coin flipping. <laughs> somehow, somehow they have. Okay, let's well, well, let, let's go. Let's go into the clarifying feelings section here. This is yes. pretty short and Much shouldn't better. be too. I need my feelings clarified after that. Here. All right, so Sigmund Freud um, kind of started this technique and uh, helping make difficult decisions. And you toss a coin, not actually to determine the decision, but to clarify the decision, decision maker's feelings. He said, I did not say you should follow blindly what the coin tells you. What I want you to do is note what the coin indicates. Then look into your own reactions. Ask yourself, am I pleased? Am I disappointed? That will help you recognize how you really feel about the matter deep down inside. And with that basis, you'll be ready to make up your mind, come to the right decision. 
I actually like that. Yeah, I do too. That seems like something that I've felt before. Like I can relate yeah. to having done that, where I like, you know, it's the old, it's the old sort of uh, "she loves me, she loves me not" thing yeah. with the flower. And, like you pick the last petal, and it's like she loves me not. That's not what I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Screw that. Another flower. Yeah. Uh, it's 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 that all over again. So, I I really I think that's right on point. I think Freud's on the money there. Regardless of whether or not I agree with him on the edible thing, <laughs> but yeah, that, yeah, I think that's that's a good way to kind of come to grips with certain things if you're not really sure what you're feeling. Yeah, you just flip a coin and then you look at it and you're like, well, that's not what I wanted, and then you're like, oh, so I wanted the other thing. Easy enough. Okay. Process of elimination. Yeah. I think I think that's actually a pretty smart little idea. Yeah. All right. Well, so is it time to end <laughs> coin flip? I I think we can end here on coin flipping. Okay. There's not really much else. I think we can <laughs> though. So what we should do to end the podcast is flip a coin. Ah. I have. I have uh, you have one coin. Maybe, maybe I have a coin. Hold on. Can I flip. My credit card, does that... I don't think it has the same properties as uh, a coin would, but, I mean, we can flip it. I mean, we can we can flip it anyway. It doesn't have to be... doesn't have to be a coin, I suppose. Unless we can find a coin. In which case, that would be ideal. But secretly, while Eric's looking for a coin, I'm going to go back up here tell you what exactly those ciphers were. Remember those? Those are fun. Let's go back there for a minute, shall we? Okay. So, the random string. Lijnagajik. Okay, okay, okay. I got it. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. <laughs> hey, hey, how's it going? All right. Found a coin? I have not a coin, but a button. So we are proving the whole... You don't the old have bias. to use a coin thing. Okay. So, one side is concave. The yes. other side is... Not concave. Gotcha. The opposite of concave. So, yes. Which, all right, so I will. Okay. I will flip. Okay. Then you will call the side. Okay. Concave. You win the coin toss. I did it. It's almost like uh, the button probably wouldn't have landed on the not concave side. <laughs> well. You know what? I changed my mind. We're going to end here. Because uh, I have the power to do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, well. Right. Well, um, from Southern Voice newspaper to coin flipping. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was an adventure. I yeah. mean, coin flipping, it looks super mundane, but wait until people get an ear full of this. <laughs> wait until they get an ear full of... Uh, of or... The other one. Yeah. Ah, uh, I missed my chance. I could have said that um, after uh, it landed, I could have said, well, it's 59DEA408 D43183938393957 E71A4BCACC616D9CBC. That's all, like, you know, that's it. And then you could yeah. be like, all right, right. cool. <laughs> right, yeah, that's it. That's all it. right, so if you enjoyed this, that's it. and even if you didn't, please go to facebook.com slash podcast. We need the likes and the follows. And then head over to iTunes and rate and review us, even though none of you ever will. And then you can find the new episodes on twc.ericjoby.com. And I'd like to thank Louis Armstrong for our theme song. And Paul Whiteman for our outro song. Thanks again for joining us. I was Eric. And I was John. And this was the Wikipedia Chronicles. Bye. Wow. That put us in the ringer. <laughs> we started that thing out. Oh man. It was so it was so simple too. Yeah. Race horses and weird names and then <laughs> cryptography happened. Oh, I can't believe it. <laughs> Coin flipping. Of all things. Coin flipping. I never want to flip a coin again. <laughs> I want to keep some dice with me. Ah, yeah. We're gonna do even odds. The the true man's yeah. decision maker. That's that's a man's game. <laughs>
dice. That's a peasant choice game, chance game like coin. <laughs> yeah. Right, Who needs two options when you have six? Exactly. Or you can carry two and do like, get like snake eyes. Mm. Got snake eyes. Got snake eyes. <laughs> okay.